This is a special edition of The Pen and the Yad. Rabbi Michael Siegel talks about his recent trip to Israel with Jonathan Ike. Jonathan. Hi, Rabbi. How are you? Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It was kind of a whirlwind trip to Israel. Left on Sunday, came back on Thursday. Um, it was it was powerful. It was overwhelming. It was a lot. I'm glad that you went uh, to witness for us, the, who have, those of us who have not been and have only been, you know, of course, reading and following on the news. But um, tell me just how it felt to be there. Well, I think there's a, it, it's a little serialistic, I have to say. If you've been to Israel, then you've been to Ben-Gurion Airport, which is really quite a beautiful airport. It's, there's an interesting design point where the people who are deplaning and the people who are going into the terminal to leave um, kind of see each other as they're walking. So the people who are deplaning are kind of going down the slope, and there's people who are going through their planes are going up the slope. And I really look forward to seeing that because I like to think about like what the experiences of the people who are leaving Israel are were, and uh, what the experiences of the people who are deplaning, and what's going to happen for them, and who are they going to see, and what are they going to do. It's just a sort of, and I, and I think about it every time, and I look at the people. And uh, really, it's a spectrum of, of the Jewish people and Christian groups. It's an amazing thing to see. But when I landed on Monday, what I was struck by was how empty the airport was. Hmm. So there was nobody, you know, the, you know the, the terminal, all the things that you see teeming with activity and voices and children running, none of that. And as you're walking, there are signs, pictures of the hostages as you're walking through. And there are flashing signs basically saying, you know, in Hebrew, the translation would be, together we will be victorious, or Israeli flags. So, you know, from the minute you enter the airport, it's just a very different experience. And then as we're leaving the airport, get into a cab, and as we're leaving a siren goes off. Just, wow. I'm, I, I'm just, you know, just literally got in the car three minutes ago. And the driver stops and he says, we'll stop here because we're still like 
under an overhang and you're listening, the sirens are going and he says, look over there, you see that? And I see this sort of white puff of smoke and he said, that was the Iron Dome. Hmm. And then about a minute later, the um, siren stops and off we go. So, you know, that was my, I hadn't even left the airport that the situation was, was upon us. Yeah. Now, you, you know, for the cab driver, you make it sound almost like it's a traffic light that he's so used to this. But I'm, I, I would assume that there's still an enormous it sounds like there's still an enormous sense of trauma. This is two months. You were there two months <clears> after <throat> the, uh, the attack by Hamas. So I was on a JOF mission. So it was about eight rabbis uh, from Chicago area and our um, Chicago Federation leadership, people who are um, their lay leaders led by uh, Lonnie Nassiter and um, some of the some of the professional staff. And they have a, an amazing crew on the ground. So what we were doing was really visiting. We were seeing people and hearing and learning about what the work of the JOF is in Israel, along with going to some very difficult places. The reason I mention all of that is because wherever we went, people talked about PTSD, they talked about trauma, that this is a nation of people who are have been truly, truly traumatized. And it was um, it was stunning. It was just stunning to be there and the kind of work that they're doing. So, for instance, we we went to um, a place called Kfar Maccabiah, which is where the second large world's largest sporting event takes place every four years. The largest sporting event is the Olympics. The second largest, uh, which I didn't know, was the Maccabiah Games, the Jewish Olympics. The people come from all over the world, and they have basically a Maccabiah village. And it's a very um, high-end thing, you know, with all kinds of state-of-the-art sporting places, fields, you know, courts. But they also have hotels and these uh, very wonderful dormitories and boardrooms. Since October 7th, that entire place has been turned into a place for people from the South and North to live. That's where they stay. Mm -hmm. And nobody waited for the government, and they do that. But then on one of the sporting fields, there are all of these very large tents. They're not like huge tents, but they're tents that can hold a couple of people. And if you look inside of them, you see that they're are three beds, uh, three nightstands, a little refrigerator, and a couple of lights. And what we learned was that this was set up for the uh, survivors of the Nova Music Festival. Hmm. And they go for three days of this intensive therapy to try and begin the process of healing for people who survived something that none of us can even conceptualize. Um, knowing that they lost friends, loved ones, and they're traumatized. Mm -hmm. But wherever you go, you're dealing with trauma, and you're also dealing with determination. So it's really, it's remarkable to see. Uh, we met with the people from Natal, which is an organization that I, on whose board I sit, which, you know, is the largest PTSD organization in Israel. And uh, I think you probably know we work with Pastor Harris in Bronzeville on that as well. And they said, well, we went from 100 calls a day to 5,000 calls a day. Wow. And these are people who, you know, they answer the phone. 
And they're sometimes talking to children whose mother can't get out of bed because their father is in Gaza fighting and they haven't eaten. And so the, the trauma counselor is not only talking to the kids, but then asking the child to bring the phone to the mother and slowly they get them to get out of bed. But this is, this is what's happening across the country. And what's amazing is that these volunteer organizations, the independent organizations are just doing the work. No one is waiting for the government. And that's remarkable to me. That is remarkable um, and a testament to the the spirit of Israel that I think has been there all along. It's part of the DNA. Um, but I'm curious, you know, you've been to Israel many times and you've been and you've lived through many traumas. Um, you know, how do you feel like this, you know, has changed the country in the, in the long term? Like, you know, what do you if you had to, you know, look into the future? You know, how do you think this is this will have changed us? That's a big question. Uh, I think that. Israelis have really looked into the face of evil, I think understand that there are issues which cannot be finessed. And there are other issues that can't be ignored. So what I mean by that is that organizations, you know, terrorist organizations like Hamas need to be understood for who they are and that these are people who are serious about their goals. You know, in Jewish history, when leaders say that they want to destroy the Jewish people, you best believe them. And I think that this arrogance of power, where you can sort of pay off Hamas or deal with them and try and create some sort of tension within the Palestinian people, some of those things, I think that Israelis understand today that there are some things that really are existential crises. And so over and over again, I heard Israelis say, it's them or us. Mm -hmm. That it's untenable for Israelis to have either Hezbollah living in Lebanon with all these missiles or Hamas ruling Gaza. Because from the Israeli point of view, if there were to be a ceasefire right now, and Israelis were not able to manage this issue, then no one in their right mind is ever going to move back down into southern Israel. And people in the north are not going to move back to their homes because Hezbollah is always sitting there. And there can always be another day of this. And so this is the dilemma for Israel. And this is what needs to be done. And so I think that's very real. And so I don't think Israel is going to back off until they feel as though they have um, degraded Hamas in such a way that there can actually be a different governing body in that area. And I think that there, there will also be um, a very difficult time in Lebanon with Hezbollah. That's how I understand it, and all this trying to manage um, you know, their, our relationship with the United States. Um, so that's one part of it. I think Israelis as a people understand that they have to also look very closely at the relationship between Israelis and how do we find the middle? How do we find this kind of nexus point where we are, we can disagree? One of the issues, one of the principles that we stand on. I think the third piece is that the notion that you can kind of leave the Palestinians to themselves 
And when they're ready to talk seriously about negotiating with us, until then we'll build a wall. I think Israelis understand that there has, there has to be real movement here. What that will look like, I don't know. But I think there is an openness and a seriousness to deal with Palestinians in the West Bank, to think more seriously about what kind of government that can be. And uh, I think those things are very real as well. But in some ways, and some people write about this, I think this is a new 1948. I don't think that you can assume anything in Israel. I think people need to be vigilant about not only the safety of Israel, but also the quality of the community of Israel and the sense that we really cannot afford to be a divided people. That's going to be the, that's going to be the real challenge. I guess I, I want to, uh, we happen to be talking while it's still Hanukkah. And so I thought we could end with this idea. And I, I heard this uh, from a, a teacher from a Hebrew Union College professor who just wrote a book on the holidays. But I think what really interesting issue is that during Hanukkah, we light the candles from the first to the eighth. That follows the thinking of the house of Hillel. And he, he teaches we should always go up in holiness. Mm-hmm. The other view was by the house of Shammai, which said, well, you would begin with the eighth day and then kind of go down to one candle. And in a way, it kind of makes sense because you had the most amount of oil on the first day. So that would be the eight candles. And then you kind of just just to the very end, it ends with that one. But what this person said that they do is they actually light two Hanukkiot, one representing the house of Hillel, one candle on the first day, and then one Hanukkiah celebrating the house of Shammai. So there's eight candles. And what they note is that on the fourth and fifth day, they're actually lighting the same number of candles. In other words, they come together in the middle. Mm-hmm. They come together in the middle. And I'm hoping that that would also be um, where Israelis are going to come to. It is a, a very difficult time. And um, I mean, I could tell you story after story after story. But what I, I am seeing is that for all of the dissension and all of the issues that Israel was focused on during the judicial reform or the judicial coup, depending on who you talk to, Israelis are, are united in their resolve to go forward as one people in one country. And I hope and pray that we will stand with them. Well, thank you, Rabbi, for for visiting and for reporting back on what you saw. And I certainly hope that you're right, that we look back on this as a time when something good came out of this tragedy. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you.